Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is Eddie Lauren. He is the founder of Strategic Realty Holdings, uh, which is a company that uh, develops uh, real estate apartment buildings. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Thanks for having me. Let's just get a little bit of your brief background and how you got into the real estate business. So just give us a brief bio of uh, how you've gotten to where you are today. Okay. Well, I started out at UCLA and put myself through school and decided to get into the, the real estate business. I tried food. I tried clothing. And then I said, I'm not good at those. So I went into shelter. So I worked in the, uh, in the real estate business and finally honed in on an opportunity where I could transform old properties, neglected properties, and make, make light out of blight. So we developed a formula over the years. I've done almost 40,000 units, either as a principal or an advisor, in terms of going in and rehabbing and breathing new life in and giving people that uh, swab does what theirs does for less than half the price concept. So I'm a true value-add player, and I've done a lot of things pretty much mostly in the multifamily workforce and affording ho- affordable housing business. So let's just start with the, the size of the problem. What, what is the problem with people not having good housing? In this? Just give us a sense of the dimensions of the problem in America. <clears throat> well, aside from just the basics of being out on the street and one foot on a banana peel, we all watched uh, the government shutdown and what that did to people. They were one step away from not paying their rent. So it's a matter of giving people decent, clean housing so they can be in a situation where they can live and feel free. Now, you get into the existential parts of it is how do you even function in life if you don't feel like you're safe and secure at home? So we've got about 9 million units that need to be built in the next uh, 30 days. I'm sorry, in the next uh, three years. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So what we're trying to achieve is to build as much as we can and buy as much product as we can that's used and rehab it and make sure it's clean and safe because there's a lot of what we call functional obsolescence. There's a lot of old buildings that are just getting tired and they're going to be obsolete and we want to make sure we go in and make them habitable and uh, create as much affordable workforce housing as we can for that missing middle and the lower income area because income's are stagnating and rents are rising. That's the how much, how much housing is being lost every year to destruction or obsolescence or you know how much is kind of going out of the housing stock? Well, low-income housing properties, there's about 170,000 that are designated for low income on the 30-year cycle that are disappearing. So that alone is an issue. Now, it's good housing and it could be workforce housing, uh, and we're only building about 50,000 housing units a year that are low-income designated housing. So we're, we're net losing about 100,000 affordable units, as well as another 200,000 are becoming obsolete if people don't go in and rehab them and, and, and renovate them. So there's the problem. And, of course, housing is growing. The demand is tremendous, and the supply is dwindling. There's problems like what we call in California, I'm here, it's called CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act, and they stop anybody from building 
and that's the issue. So if you can't build right up, you're not going to be able to uh, end up solving the problem. So our goal is to build as much as we can and help facilitate the rehab of as much as we can to, to increase the stock. It's really basic supply and demand. So there are some programs from the federal government, one called the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Property uh, Program, which does incentivize people. So just tell us how that works, and is that going to be successful in creating a lot of low-income housing? Well, it has been successful in building 3 million units since 1986. We just said there's 7 million units that were short, and that's been 30 years. So uh, it's a great program. Banks and insurance companies get tax credits for investing in equity to build affordable housing. There's not enough credits, not enough in the budget to go around. So we need to build more workforce housing for the missing middle as well. So the problem is, is again, it's just a supply-constrained issue. And the low-income housing tax credit is one avenue, but it takes two years to build them. If you don't get stopped by the NIMBYs, not in my backyards, and there are bonds you need to get, there's waiting time, there's credits, and so we need to expand it. And unfortunately, we have a, a government right now, an administration, that is not uh, favorable to uh, you know, building more low-income housing today. We need to accelerate it, and it's really getting going in the opposite direction. So not to get political, but that, that's, there are political issues. If, if, if people can't make enough to make and pay their rent, we have to help them. So what happens is there's a voucher system. Everybody's heard of Section 8 vouchers. There's no crime in, in, in getting a voucher because people pay, let's say you make 11 bucks an hour. The most you should pay is about 600 bucks a month. If you rent $1,600 a month, how do you stay there without being homeless? The government comes with that voucher for 1000 You're still hardworking. You're still paying your bills. You just need help. And as rents continue to rise, we need more and more opportunities to be able to fill that gap where people just can't afford it as they work full time. What, what is the attitude of the rest of the construction industry? It seems like they mostly want to build higher-end housing. Is, is there much interest in building or renovating lower-income and middle-income housing? Well, you need subsidies in order to keep those rents low because construction costs are construction costs. Land costs are land costs. So if you're not going to have a contribution from either philanthropic investors, impact investors, or the government, there's no way to build. You can't build a C. You can't build a B. You can only build a new product. So short of subsidies, you know, construction costs aren't going any lower. So that's the real challenge. So there's something called an opportunity zone. Is that something that the, the, uh, is in the law? And what, what are some of the rules around opportunity zones? This is one of the greatest things that's come out of the 2017 Tax and, and Jobs Act. What it, what it means is there are low-income housing census tracts across the country. There are about 36,000 of these tracts. And the, this current legislation put in the opportunity for every governor to designate 25% of each one of these zones in their states. So now we have 8,700 opportunity zones where people can get a tax benefit for investing in these areas. The reason they did this is there's only three states that have, have received almost 80% of the venture capital in this country. You've had, you have California, of course, New York, and 
Massachusetts. So now we're hoping to democratize and level the playing field so that every single state can get the benefit of investment. How does this work? What's this incentive? There's three components. The first one is a deferral of your taxes. So if you, it used to be there was a 1031 law, and it still exists, that that was the only way you could do it. You could only trade real estate for real estate. Now, with this law, you can tr- sell your business for $40 million gain, and you can invest in these opportunities. You can sell your Apple stock. You can do a tremendous amount of anything that you can receive a gain. You can invest in these zones. So how does it work? Let's say we have a $5 million gain we've been sitting on, and someone's 50, 60 years old, and they're not going to die anytime soon to get a step up in basis. So it's a good idea to harvest some gains and, and transfer those in gains into what's called an opportunity zone fund. So now let's say you, you sold and you had a $5 million gain. You would be owing 20% in capital gains plus, let's say, in California, 13%. So you'd owe 33% on your taxes today in 2019. Well, it's allowing us to defer our taxes until 2026. So it's a free loan from the government. You don't have to pay your taxes for seven years. That's number one. Number two benefit is you get a step up in your basis. So it's like, in essence, a discount. If you did it today, seven years from now, you could have a 15% discount or a step up in basis. So now that tax bite that was due in 2026 is 15% less. So that's a very good opportunity. So the next issue is if you hold this unit or this investment in your opportunity zone for 10 years, after 10 years, the gain on that 5 million, let's say that 5 million becomes worth 10 million. That new $5 million gain, now mind you, you've already paid taxes on the first $5 million gain in 2026. The new gain is absolutely tax-free. It's phenomenal. It's tremendous. It's incredible. So that makes people really excited to take some of these gains that have been on the sidelines, $6 trillion in stock gains and business gains that could be reinvested to help our thriving communities. Terrific. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Eddie Lauren. He's the founder of Strategic Realty Holdings. Uh, You can find out more at his website, which is AlliantStrategic.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We've all been there, struggling to keep up with credit card payments, searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt. Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. 
Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments, and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt, and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Eddie Lauren. He is the founder of Strategic Realty Holdings. A website to find out more is AlliantStrategic.com. Welcome back to the show, Eddie. Hey, good to be here. So we want to talk about how people can invest with you, uh, particularly relating to these opportunity zones. What kind of investors can invest with you, and how does it work if somebody wants to uh, give you money, and what kind of return should they expect? Well, okay. Uh, accredited investors only. Um, so any, I assume your listeners might know what an accredited investor is, but in, in case they don't, you need to make uh, at least 200000 a year, and you need to have at least a net worth of a million dollars. And so those investors are welcome to come join us. Our um, minimum investment in the Opportunity Zone Fund is uh, $150,000. And what we can expect or on a 10-year basis now, you know, most people look at IRRs and returns based on a five-year basis. So this is a development model. So the first two years, you're not going to get any cash flow as we build. And subsequently, we can look for an average cash return of 5 to 7% until year 10. And then upon sale, we're looking at a pretty much 12 to 15% overall annual return over 10 years before tax benefits. After tax benefits, we can add about three to 400 basis points on the IRR based on all the goodies we talked about in the first segment of the deferral of taxes, the step up in basis, and of course, the gains that are free on the, on the sale. But we must hold for 10 years or it defeats the purpose. So you're, you're investing in a specific property, is that right? It's not a fund. It's a specific it property a that you would be putting. It be a fund. It's a multiple properties in a fund structure. The law says you must you can only invest in an opportunity zone fund, which we would be, and that fund invests in opportunity zone businesses. Now, we're in the real estate business, but is this is not only for real estate. You can open a chicken joint, you can open a restaurant, you can open a manufacturing facility as long as it's within 
these opportunity zone areas and at least 90% of that of your assets are there, that's what we're focused on. So um, it's really amazing, and it's meant to put in a lot of life into not only uh, bringing housing, but bringing a lot of other opportunities to people. So in addition to the financial return and the tax benefits that people get, what are kind of the social returns? You, you talk about impact investing. What are some of the social right. improvements that are resulting from these investments? Well, a certain percentage of our, well, 100% of all of our units will be made for that middle, lost middle area. So we, in the affordable housing business, target what's called area median income. So if someone makes 100% of area median income and it's $60,000, that's who we'd rent to. So 120%, let's say it's, uh, you know, it's a little higher. So it's closer to, to 75, 80%, 80,000. We are targeting most of our units will be to that missing middle, workforce housing. But we will also have mixed income in there. We will have units that are designated at between 50 and 80% of area median income as well as part of our impact formula because that's also what not only cities want, but we want to be able to provide a decent, safe place to live that people can afford. On top of that, we're going to create a sense of community where what we have is a common area community room. We find that YMCA's, synagogues, churches, they don't attract as many people as they used to to get people because they're hardworking folks. If we have a community in the club room and state-of-the-art fitness center and a resort-style pool and a sense of community and outdoor fitness and walking clubs and community gardens and all these wonderful things on site where people live on their doorstep, we can make and create community through health. And that's what our goal is. So that's the impact. People in isolation don't tend to do as well as people who have feeling of a sense of community. So our goal is to create that thriving uh, sense of, um, I guess there's no other word for it, but the sense of community so people can really feel that they belong and they can make a difference and they have other people they can hang with. Now, you also kind of complement the for-profit business with a not-for-profit 501c3, which is called the HAPPY Foundation, which stands for Health Apartment Property Initiative, uh, run by your wife. How does that complement what you're doing on the business side? Well, oftentimes in these apartment communities, these really nice community areas sit vacant. We, we consider that an incredible distribution for local organizations to come in and do health screening, credit counseling, health and wellness training, diet classes, after-school programming, all these things, because we want to maximize every inch of our properties. So that you, you know, a lot of people put these facilities in and nobody uses them. We try to promote that, and we have parties, and we have ways of educating people, and again, creating community through health. So uh, what has been, uh, we, the Opportunity Zones have been around for about a year. What has been the actual results? What, what has happened in the last zero. year? Zero. Nothing, because we still get, not zero, I'm being facetious, but there's been very little done. And unless a property was about to be developed anyway, 
not much has happened. We're still waiting since the government closed. We were waiting for our second round. It's been a year. I'm on the coalition for Novogratic, which is an accounting firm, and EIG, who are the authors of the, firm, uh, of the legislation, Booker and Scott. And the frustration has been that it was very vague. And, you know, if you're an advisor like me, you know, it's one thing if you're a cowboy, you can go swap buildings with your buddy, and you, can, you don't want any legislation. But the less they say, the better to the cowboys. But for advisors and people who are fiduciaries of people's money like us, we need more clarity. So the lawyers, the accountants have been on multiple conference calls every week for a year to try to clarify and hone in on what it is that we can do. For instance, I was in D.C. and in front of Treasury, and we had a, a fellow that says, look, I'm a venture capitalist. I'm going to buy 10 businesses. One's going to be a home run. Two are going to be okay, and the rest are going to be fat, big, fat losers. You're telling me I have to go into these distressed areas, and then I have to hold this new investment for 10 years? I'm out, because I'm, I'm going to capitalize on my gain in year three. So Kowalski goes back to Treasury and says, hey, wait a minute. We thought this was so simple. It's not well written. So that's one example of some of the clarity that we need from uh, you know, from some of the, the regs. So the regs were supposed to be out January 10th, and lo and behold, the government was closed. So now we just opened the government today, which is great. Now we're waiting for final regs, at least so we can all get moving. So we have our PPM ready, our private placement memorandum. And, you know, people are saying they're raising money, but in good conscience, nobody can raise money until we get the final regs. So a year has gone by. I'm hoping we can lobby to get, if Congress could do anything, to get another year on that 2026 at least, because literally nothing has happened in the, in the last year. And we, we, we see the next couple of years as the major opportunity, the best deals will be had. And, uh, you know, it's complicated. Nothing's easy. So are these regulations going through HUD or the IRS? Where, where are the regulations be coming from? This is, this is the IRS, part of the tax code. Uh, and, you know, Definitely, it's an IRS Treasury issue. Nothing to do with HUD. HUD is actually the housing agency that provides some of the vouchers we talked about earlier, but it's not a HUD issue. It's a Treasury issue. It's IRS. So it, are you taking money today, then, while the regulations are still uncertain, or is it, not, is it too early to take money? In good conscience, I believe it's still a little too early until we get final regs, which now the government's open. It should be in the next two weeks, three weeks, we hope. Okay, so it's pretty imminent. So you're saying in the first two years, the money is used to renovate the housing, um, so they're not getting or any cash flow. Right. Or building new. Either renovation or building new, correct? So it, in the first two years, people would get tax benefits but no cash flow? Is that the idea? Well, um, not necessarily because at least in the development, you know, every deal is going to be different. If you're buying businesses, it's different than real estate. But real estate, we would argue, they say, is the most impact you can give and the safest investment you can make with the demand for housing. But nonetheless, when you invest, you have no tax benefits until we stabilize and refinance. And at that point, here's a really cool thing you brought up. Let's say in year three, we start and we can depreciate that building now because now the investor can benefit from that. They couldn't benefit in the first two years because we're building it. 
Now, all the income going forward is going to be pretty much tax-free because you have what's called component depreciation. So if you're getting a 5 or 6% return, it could be like a 10% return after taxes from that component depreciation. So, And the best part is usually when you have depreciation, you get a catch-up and you pay taxes at the end of the rope. But here, you're stepping your basis up to market rate. So as a result, all those goodies are free. As they say, free. Yeah. So are there a lot of other players in your field doing similar things, trying to take advantage of these opportunity zones? Absolutely, there are. There are certain people who are doing certain things. Our goal, since we're one of the largest low-income housing tax credit developers with our partners in the country, we're going to stick to our knitting and now do workforce housing. We're not going to do hotels. We're not going to do office. We're not going to buy businesses. We're just going to do what we do best. And one apartment at a time, we're going to help solve the housing crisis. Does this also work for housing preservation historic properties? Because there's a whole separate amount of tax credits for that. Is that still accurate? Yeah, but there are no tax credits here. So that's what's confusing. What this is, is a, a separate formula to be able to build. Now, here's the problem. You can't really rehab much. Let's say you have a $10 million building in Los Angeles, and the most you can justify that land value is $3 million. So you got a $7 million building. Let's say it's 50 units. You need to spend $7 million to renovate that building. You're going to knock that building down. So it defeats the purpose. So that's kind of the issues. That's why we're trying to make a more conscious effort to keep the impact and keep things affordable because this very legislation could do the opposite and push people out that we're trying to help. So it's a very nuanced thing, and that's a good place to, to, to wrap it up because we got to make sure that whoever you're investing with really doesn't want to regentrify and, and just push people out. You want to make sure we embrace mixed income developments and opportunities for everybody to thrive in the same community. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Eddie Lauren. He's the founder of Strategic Realty Holdings. You can see he improves buildings, allows middle-income people to get housing, provides a lot of tax benefits to accredited investors. You can find out more about everything he's talking about, including the Opportunity Zones, at his website, AlliantStrategic.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Eddie. My pleasure. Thanks again, and we'll be back after this break with Jack Roberts. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. 
Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Looking for an investment option? Consider Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. Secured Real Estate Income Strategies is a real estate-backed option offering investments with a monthly income objective. The goal of the strategy is to lend money to real estate developers. SREIS offers an 8% preferred return per annum, plus a share in any profits. While there is risk, including loss of capital, and you should carefully read the offering circular for full details, Secured Real Estate Income Strategies screens each real estate loan carefully. Call 888-444-2102 or visit securedrealestatefunds.com to learn more. 888-444-2102. Jordan Goodman is an advisor to and part owner in Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. This does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities. Securities offered through North Capital Private Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Jack Roberts. Uh, He is head of trading at simplertrading.com. Welcome to the show, Jack. Hey, thanks for having me. Just tell us a little bit about you, you, what you do at Simpler Trading as far as helping traders uh, to make trades both in individual securities and in options. Absolutely. So what I am is just a moderator. So every morning what we do is, along with the other moderators, like the famous name John Carter and Henry Gamble, alongside with them, I just broadcast what I'm, what, what the team is looking at as far as opportunities for options, and then also a more long-term view, but also, you know, using technicals and paying attention to the fundamentals. Me personally, I'm more of a macro trader, uh, and that's been my background for about 10 or 12 years. So what I like to do is study uh, the behavior of the market, the emotional side of the market, and then make decisions based from that perspective. So uh, let's just talk about the current market right now. Let's on the macro level. Let's start with the Fed Reserve. Uh, people talk about they have patience. Do you think they're going to be raising rates this year, or, or what is your view of what's going to be happening with the Fed Reserve? Well, what's interesting about the Federal Reserve is obviously it's in a tight place. We know that. Now, the second thing that it's worth noting right now is in the Yellen conference with Powell, they both stated that the decision to raise rates is going to stay liquid. And what that means is there's not a real present decision that's going to be made, you know, a week from now. Okay, they're going to continue to watch what the market's do. They're going to make sure that we don't come across bad unemployment numbers in mid-year. And what we're seeing as far as the federal banks, not only in the United States, but globally, is a secular shift from monetary policy to fiscal policy. So what we have is geopolitical tensions that are rising, global supply chains are changing, and technology for the at least the past couple years, has really been the driver for 2017 and 2018. Now, between valuations and regulatory pressures that we're seeing, equities could still be a good performer 
in 2019, but tech won't be as so divided as it has been in the market. So where does the rubber hit the road from now? Okay, so we have a dislocation in the fourth quarter, uh, a pullback in October and December of 2018, but public equities have large in part been upgraded in the U.S., and the big funds are going to take advantage of any weakness in this market, at least for the foreseeable future until June or July. Do you think the Fed raised rates too much, or do you think it was smart what they did by raising rates, uh, I guess it's basically nine times since 2015? You know, that's a great question. I think that they're paying attention. I think this is the only rate hike that we'll see. Um, I believe that they know that they're in a tough spot. But right now, you know, we're not seeing a huge... We're not seeing a 2007, 2008 situation. So, you know, big funds right now are, you know, taking advantage of any opportunity. So maybe they'll be looking at levered loans or negative on high yield. The most efficient vehicle this year that we're going to see as far as alpha generation is going to be the portfolios that have toggled and pivoted between the emotions of the market structure. Okay, so what we're seeing now is we've got a lot of ETFs coming in and out and dealer inventories are actually down about 80%, but what you have is a feeding of the back loop. So we have a pretty pretty decent economy for the US, but what does it mean whenever we start fitting that into the global spectrum? You have foreign countries that have their debt denominated in U.S. currency. Whenever you have a strong dollar, that makes it harder for those countries to service that debt. So we do have an emotional market, but we are going to see somewhat of an overreaction. And the Fed is really taking their time. And I think that they did not make us, to answer your question, I don't think they made a mistake whenever they uh, came into the picture late 2018 and 2019. So I think we're just on track uh, for a natural pullback. And I think we're going to see a lot of leaning in going into at least the election where things will really get emotional in 2020. So let's talk about international, uh, particularly the U.S.-China trade situation. I mean, we have a basically a month from now a deadline to uh, come with some kind of deal by March 1st or the tariffs will go up dramatically from 10% to 25%. Do you think there'll be any kind of a deal or a significant enough deal in that time to avoid that uh, tariff uh, raise from happening? Another good question. So what we're seeing as far as the China impact is any type of news is ultimately going to drive um, the emotions of the market. So like I said before, China is really uh, tossing the emotions of the market in the United States around and around, okay? But what we're seeing also is the big firms are going to migrate to opportunities where cash flow is on sell. So yes, China's in the picture and any type of news that we hear from China, both good or bad, will both be overstated by the actions of the market. So there's going to be an overreaction, whether it's good or bad. And what are you predicting that would happen in the next month? Are we going to have some kind of a deal which would be positive or are we not going to have a deal which would be negative? I think it's in China's best interest to have a positive, and I think we're going to meet a deal. Now, I'm not back in the camp of, you know, a, a full-on bull market, but I 
don't think I, I think there's going to be a knife fight a knife fight at least till June and July. I think we do reach a deal with China. It's in their best interest as their economics has been slowing down over the past six months. I think that it's in their best interest to reach a deal to figure out where their fiscal policy is going to end in 2019. And I think after all that will over implicit to what I'm saying, we'll see somewhat of an emergent of another bull market coming into 2019 as long as that deal is is done by June or July, at least at the uh, end term of the late debt cycle that's very small, but it's happening right now. So you were saying the technology stocks really had been leading in 2017, 2018 for the most part, not at the end of the year, but for the most part. Uh, and you say they're not going to be leading them. I mean, today we had a very negative number from NVIDIA, for example. So w- what uh, industry groups do you think would be leading in 2019 in, in, in the stock market? Absolutely. So you're going to have staples that are going to really excel, especially stuff where there's no lack of buying. So Starbucks, Home Depot, some of the financials are actually looking strong. Um, Overall, AMD, NVIDIA, uh, MU, the semiconductor uh, ETF, all looking like we just need to get over the hype. So NVIDIA, great example. Uh, We reached all-time highs. at the big, at the middle or end of last year, Nvidia has seen and AMD across the board have seen a slowdown because we've seen a slowdown in buying of tech. We have a cycle of getting the most efficient computer systems out. Those that was the end of 2018. Nvidia and AMD both got hyped up for the mining of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and so it's really been interesting to watch the pullback in the weakness after the hype. Now, to answer your question, I think we can continue continue to go long healthcare as long as the baby boomers continue to retire. I think uh, to reduce your risk, I think it's important to consider a 1% or 2% allocation in gold and even digital currencies. Uh, But right now, what's looking really strong is, you know, your, your staples. And what's really weak if you want to take the other side of the coin is going to be consumer discretionary. So airplane flights as long, I mean, the government shutdown uh, created some, some tension there, but you know, if spending power is reduced by the end of 2019, then that means discretionary traveling, anything that you don't normally spend your money on is going to be reduced. So I'm hopping out of consumer discretionary on that weakness and then buying into healthcare and any type of staples for home building or consumer. In fact, actually, Nike and Lulu still look good. So when you decide you're positive on something like staples or negative on something like discretionary, how do you decide the best way to propose the trade, whether it be options or individual stocks? Once you have a thesis, how do you decide how to make that actionable? Well, so what I do is I, I look at the technicals as long as I have, for for example, so NVIDIA we were just talking about. NVIDIA looks like, I mean, from the outside, a great company. Their technicals are a mess right now. I wouldn't be jumping in long. So what I'm saying and how I practice my options is we're buying, uh, you know, put verticals in a bullish market and basically doing the same or the same of the opposite, if that makes sense to the downside right now, I don't think that 
uh, butterflies and iron condors are really the best approach. I think right now you just play it safe with covered calls and then defined risk trades. So a popular trade that I'm putting on is a long call in AMD and a put credit spread in NVIDIA to the upside just for the short term to ride out some of this volatility. So you have a lot of volatile volatility trades and options. And then what I'm saying for the, you know, the long-term investor that wants to see that 3%, 5% return on equities, I'm saying continue to invest in healthcare and watch your risk in options. Most especially for those that have already been affected by the pullback, Netflix, Tesla, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft. So the big names that we saw drive the S&P in 2018, what we're looking for now is a reduced risk and a reduced risk trade in options. Um, the, one of the best examples that I, that I can come up from this last week was putting simply uh, long calls in AMD or long calls in Herbalife, but really the market is extremely emotional. So what I'm doing is taking a low risk, high reward play, and that's working out pretty well so far. How long is the average trade that you're recommending that people hold it? When you said long-term, is that days or weeks? What do you mean by long-term? Absolutely. So the long-term, from my perspective, is 45 days. That's my sweet spot. Now, what I like to do also is do a intraday or maybe just a swing trade for three to five days. So in between trading for three to five days to catch that volatility or 45 days to give yourself enough time for the trade to play out. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman with The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Jack Roberts. He's the moderator at simplertrading.com. You can find out more at his website, simplertrading.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? 
Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jack Roberts. He is a moderator and options trader at simplertrading.com. You can find out more about him and what he does at simplertrading.com forward slash traders. Welcome back to the show, Jack. Hey. We talked a little bit about uh, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. It certainly had a big drop last year. Is you think it's going to come back, or what is your view of the future of Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrencies? Well, cryptocurrencies and the whole industry looks very interesting right now. If you compare Bitcoin to, let's say, a 10-year chart of the NASDAQ, there's there's a very scary similarities. Now, whenever I think about who's going to succeed out of this, you know, maj podge of cryptocurrencies, I am only convinced on any digital asset that has that carries a meaningful utility. So what I really like, my picks uh, for the long term, and we'll start to see the effectiveness here within four to five years of true adoption of digital currencies. Uh, what I really like is XRP. I think the utility there over, you know, cross-border remittances, XRP is, seems like one of the biggest movers and most successful digital currencies in the long run. I'm not a I'm not really opposed uh, to adding Dash, that's digital cash, to my portfolio. If you know anything about Dash, it's amazing what's happening and how they're solving the problems in Venezuela. They've put up a couple offices in the capital there. Uh, you know, obviously, we all know that the inflation rate uh, for Venezuela is something like 12,000%. You know, it's just unheard of. And so Dash went in and basically have created liquidity through digital currencies. And we're going to see how this shakes out, but I'm pretty optimistic uh, based on not only the CEO and his uh, provenance of the situation, uh, but it's actually saving and changing lives there in South America. My other two picks are Ethereum and I like Omisigo, uh, OMG. But other than that, I think Bitcoin in general we start to hover down to the $2,500 area very soon. So people talk about institutions starting to trade uh, Bitcoin and uh, the uh, backed system from the New York Stock Exchange. Is that going to make a major difference in adding liquidity and credibility to the crypto market? Well, it's definitely going to make it more accessible. I hesitate to think that it's going to boost the price of Bitcoin. Uh, I don't see 25000 at least in 2019. An ETF could absolutely hurt 
digital currencies because what you could have is kind of a divergence from what the true price should represent in Bitcoin to what the traders want to pay and how the uh, how that compression works out. So I think all the rumors about getting institutions uh, to you know pour into an ETF, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. And that's what takes me back to XRP and uh, the company Ripple. So what they're doing, and they have no, you know, they're not paying me to say this. They have no idea who I am. But just following digital currencies for the past five years and seeing uh, the uh, the overall amplitude of blockchain technology, uh, Ripple is really slowly making their way into the ether of what we can con- what we can decide that is e-commerce or the internet of value. And I think in at least three to four years, we start to see XRP is the main house productive utility across any digital asset uh, field. And Bitcoin could actually end up being hurt uh, if we do see uh, ETFs being made, because that doesn't actually mean that the institutions that will be investing, what that means is there's going to be increased volatility and it could possibly push the price down. And how would you play, say you want to play Ripple or Ethereum, some of the things you talked about, would you set up an account at Coinbase, or how would you recommend people actually do that? Hey, that's a great question. Okay, so Coinbase.com is great, where you can hop on board, and you know there's a there's a plethora of digital currencies. What I do is for especially my XRP. What I'm doing is I'm going to uphold.com and then you can uh, transition your U.S. dollar or currency onto and just directly purchase XRP. Um, I've heard a lot of people also going on the Robinhood app and purchasing digital currencies there, but you're not actually buying the currency. You're just investing in it and hoping the price goes up. So Robinhood, you're not actually owning the digital currency, um, but other places like Binance.com are great to set up an account there, get a safe key, uh, a Ledger Nano S, and I store all mine on cold storage. So what I'm looking for is a portfolio full of XRP. And oh, to answer your question, XRP, I'm buying any dip. So right now, I just added to my portfolio. We're down 5 or 6%. We dipped to $0.28 cents this morning. I folded back into uh, adding positions in my portfolio. I'm going to add more at $0.25 cents and $0.22 cents if we see those levels. I'll also add to Litecoin and Dash uh, just the same way uh, later on today. I hope for a little bit more of a pullback. But that's the idea here is buying any type of weakness because overall the future looks good. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about simpler trading as a company. Why is it good for people to work through simpler trading compared to other uh, trading and options platforms? Well, first of all, it's the, the people that are teamed. Our team at simpler trading is filled with just amazing people. John Carter is probably one of the better managers of uh, any type of business like this. He's got a great lighthearted attitude. Everyone there is really, really happy. And we're happy to do, uh, you know, what our passion is, is trading. Uh, And so we have a really cohesive environment. I'm the newest uh, moderator uh, from last year coming on to the team. Um, I think that the environment um, and why people choose simpler trading is because we have an excellent 
consortium of uh, membership subscriptions. We have indicators. We have we're you know kind of famous for the TTM squeeze, the MTF trend, and all of our under other indicators. We're also constantly adding more videos, more content, and more strategy strategies and indicators. Obviously, John Carter, Henry Gamble, Daniel Shagum, and all Roggy uh, and the Fib Queen. We're all very uh, you know, observant, and we all have something to add, and that's kind of creating that cohesive environment. Like I said, John Carter's, um, you know, Mastering the Trade Third Edition just came out. There's a lot of people that have real proven success from listening, just listening, or checking out John Carter's book, Mastering the Trade. But overall, I think what's driving subscriptions is the overall value that we create for the consumer. So indicators, memberships, and a live uh, trading room every day, Monday through Friday. And again, people can find out more at simplertrading.com slash traders. Uh, just uh, briefly commenting on Apple. Uh, it's had a big up move or a big down move. What is your outlook on Apple? Absolutely. So uh, I go back to this uh, supplemental story that takes 15 seconds to tell. So I walked into an Apple store and I looked at the new MacBook and I said, well, what is this slidey thing here on the keyboard? And it really has no purpose personally in my view. And she said, well, it's innovation. And I said, well, what's innovative about this? And what my point is, is Steve Jobs, if he were alive today, would literally be not the happiest person in the world. Apple has yet to innovate a new product. They're resting on the backbones by obviously making new copies of old phones that we've all kind of, uh, you know, Apple and Microsoft could easily switch spots like they did in the 90s. Apple has yet to innovate new products. They say that they are, uh, well, beyond that, they're having the, they're affected by the China trade tariffs. They're affected by privacy issues. And I think Apple's really gotten beaten up. Now, at this point, there is going to be volatility and value buyers, especially in the top 10 institutions and hedge funds, looking to take advantage of that and leaning in on any weakness. So like I said, it's not so much dependent on where Apple goes from here. It's more about the emotions of the sentiment. And if people want to dive back in, uh, hopeful that Apple returns back into a, a, a bull uh, situation. But where I stand personally on Apple, um, I think Tim Cook is Tim Cook has done a great job. Whenever he starts telling the viewers uh, in America on a national TV station that they're going to be spending more money on renewing old phones and nothing new about new products, well, then that's where you have a sense of worry. And I think Apple's kind of seen its day. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Jack Roberts. Uh, he's a moderator of uh, trading uh, technology at uh, simplertrading.com. You can get his uh, daily uh, input on trades at simplertrading.com forward slash traders. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Jack. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. 